I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. My heart's in the highlands, gentle and fair, honeysuckle blooming in the wildwood air, bluebells blazing where the Aberdeen waters flow. Well, my heart's in the highlands. I'm going to get there when I feel good enough to go. Windows were shaken all night in my dreams. Everything was exactly the way that it seems. Woke up this morning and I looked at the same old page, same old rat race, life in the same old cage. I don't want nothing from anyone. Ain't that much to take. Wouldn't know the difference between a real blonde and a fake. Feel like a prisoner in a world of mystery. I wish someone would come and push back the clock for me. Well, my heart's in the highlands wherever I roam. That's where I'll be where I get called home. The wind, it whispers to the buckeye trees in rhyme. Well, my heart's in the highlands. I can only get there one step at a time. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And uh, to talk about this, this week we're talking about Highlands. Uh, epic doesn't even get, get really enough of a word for, for this song. Uh, we're, we're, here to, we're here with uh, fellow Bobcat and someone that has done extensive writing on the man's work, Tara Zook. Hi, Tara. Hi, Rob. Nice to be here. It is great to have you here. Uh, I, uh, you were recommended to me by our, Laura, our, our mutual pal, Laura Tenchert. And, yep. and after I reached out to you and you sent me a bunch of links and I was I, staggered by how much writing you've done on the man. And I, I tried to read every bit of it before we recorded here. I didn't quite get to all of it, but I, wow. <laughs> I, really, I really enjoyed uh, your writing, uh, your, your thoughts about Bob. I, thought, I was nodding along through a lot of it. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, Thank I've you. been through that. So uh, this is just really thrilling. I'm so happy to have you here. And we decided to just uh, – we're jumping into the pool neck deep here with uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Highlands, no which is the, question, <laughs> the final track from Bob's 1997 album, Time Out of Mind. But before we get to Highlands, I, I got to ask you, how did you become a fan? Ah, my story is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> I was born in 1970. So, you know, by the time I was old enough to, to really understand and listen to music, that kind of initial era of Dylan had long gone in the 60s before I was born. In the 70s, I was too young to be really keeping up with it. However, I had an early introduction to his music because my parents were both political activists and we had meetings at our house all the time of activists. And in the evening, somebody would always pull out the guitar. This is in England, in Liverpool. And they would sing folk songs and protest songs. And so I grew up literally surrounded by these political activists passing the guitar and passing other things, too. Um, (laughs) And, you know, playing Pete Seeger songs, Phil Oak songs, uh, Joan Baez and, of course, Bob Dylan right there. So I grew up knowing the words to all of these songs. And it was just a part of who I was and, and, you know, it was in my blood from the start. And uh, then when I got older, I started to investigate these these. musical people, these wonderful people. And, um, you know, I found that no matter which track I took in life musically, it took me back to Bob Dylan. I got interested in the blues. I was interested in folk. I was interested in uh, protest music. I was interested in so many other things. And it all came back to Dylan. Dylan was like the common thread running through everything. And so I was kind of a fan. I'm going to say kind of from when I was young. 
But when I met my husband, he was a crazy Dylan fan. <laughs> and so really 20 years ago, we've been married for 20 years. And 20 years ago when I met him, it was like, you know, a cosmic collision of Dylanness, And uh, that's when I really started to get into all of the bootlegs and get into reading about Dylan and the books and the, the fanzines and the magazines. And that was the influence of my husband bringing that because I always had that passion for Dylan. But it had always been slightly under the surface, under control, and then it went out of control. <laughs> and that's when I started reading and writing and getting involved online with people as well. Um, and so then that cuts to about nine years ago when I joined the dreaded Facebook, which uh, sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was a blessing. In this case, it was an absolute blessing because pottering around on Facebook, I found a group called Edless Cafe, and if anybody is interested in Bob Dylan and on social media, check out all the different Edlis groups. I would really recommend them for a kind of a deeper discussion of Bob Dylan's work. Um, it's not so much sharing the videos, sharing the photographs. It's more of an analysis-based approach that people have on, on, those, um, on those sites. And I think that was an offshoot from the old rec music Dylan pages, the discussion pages, which are still going on Google groups, but they're kind of quiet at the moment. But if you're on Facebook, you're looking for a place to go, head to Edless Cafe, grab a cup of coffee and dig into some Dylan stuff because there's some really, really interesting posts on there. How did you get into actually doing writing yourself about it? And was it, was it that and then you expanded from there? <laughs> well, it's interesting because... I always wanted to write, but I always felt like I didn't have anything interesting to say. I would, I would read. <laughs> that does not stop script. some people. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. You know, but me, I was like, you know, a bit reticent, and I was reading all these great books and writers. My favorite writer on Dylan uh, was Paul Williams. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. Like he just hit my heart every time I would run to find the songs that he was talking about because he would just inspire me with this amazing feeling of excitement when I read his work about Dylan. And another favorite writer of mine was uh, Andrew Muir, okay. who he, he had two fanzines that were, that were um, really popular over here in England. There was uh, Home of the Slut and Judas. And he also, he compiled a lot of his stuff into some books. So he's got Troubadour. And then he wrote about the never-ending tour. He wrote Razor's Edge. And I think it's One More Night is his second one on the never-ending tour. And he's written lots of other articles. He's been on podcasts. He's been on TV. Um, he's a real great guy. And I actually ended up um, getting to know Andy um, and that was like, it's like meeting one of your heroes, right? Like I've been reading Andy's articles and stuff for years and then boom, I know him now. And so he was very encouraging about my writing, but also I met people through the Edlis groups and I was making posts on Facebook and they were saying, you should make this into a full article. You should make this into a full piece rather than just a post on Facebook. You know, you've got something to say. You should try and say it. And so I started to try and write seriously about Dylan following people's encouragement really and uh and yeah so and i'm still finding my way i've got another article coming out uh probably in the fall and um i'm still finding my way as a writer i'm working on two books trying to do something serious and yeah it just all spiraled from there really 
That's outstanding. I mean, I said I read your uh, the the piece, the first piece that you get to when you go to your website, and I'll we'll link to that in the show notes. Is where you talk about uh, the quality of Dylan's voice, you know, and you yep. you mentioned that thing about where you have the situation. I think almost every deep Bob fan has had this experience where they mention to someone, uh, "Oh, I'm a Bob Dylan fan," and then <laughs> then that person feels the need to then qualify. Well, he he's a great songwriter. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's why well, I, I like him as a songwriter as, you know, oh, well, thank goodness you're approving of my liking of Bob Dylan because it was, you know, it was close there for a moment. But I've heard, I've heard that a thousand times where people were like, well, I, I can't stand the way he's a terrible singer, but man, he's a songwriter. You just, I uh, just, you know, pat on my head on the desk, you know, you're just like, Absolutely. okay, all right, all right. And I, I tell you, if I have to sit through one more person doing an impersonation of an impersonation, <laughs> hey, time changing, you know, and you're like, please don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's the reaction you get. And I'm interested in his voice because I actually have um, an academic background. I'm a teacher and I have qualifications in psychology, but also applied linguistics. So that's where kind of my interest in Dylan's voice and the power of his vocalization comes from. Um, the use of his voice as another instrument and the way his voice combines with the lyrics and with the melodies to create something that's really special. Um, And it's not just that he's a good singer. You hear people who are good singers on American Idol or, you know, over here in England, we have the X Factor. And, you know, you get these people, Okay, they've got these perfect voices, but I wouldn't say they're great vocalists like Dylan is. is, You know, there's something extra that you've got to have. The Duende there you go. That's another Dylan-esque thing. Lorca's duende. <laughs> That's what Dylan has. He has this duende is this spirit and passion. Leonard Cohen has it too. And Tom Waits, you know, where you, you have this, this feeling and emotion and passion that transcends and comes together in this kind of um, very special feeling when you listen to something. And that doesn't need a perfect voice for that. Although I do think Dylan's voice is pretty damn special, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always felt if it, if it if it makes you feel something, then then it's good singing. That's it, you know, and uh, that's, the, that's all that it is. So I assume that you have seen Bob live at this point. Never. Really. No, really, I am I am a part of probably a very large group of fans who are very passionate, but have never seen him live. I work away in the, the Canadian North Arctic, and it's been it's been the way that. I've been in the Arctic Circle when Dylan's been in Europe, and I've been in Europe when Dylan's touring North America. <laughs> and it's been that way for years. It's like I need to get in touch with Bob's people and kind of join our, our uh, schedules together and figure something Seriously, out. Seriously, we got to do Seriously, something about never. that. Yeah. We have. We've got to fix it. But, you know, I, um, one of the groups we have on Facebook is the Edless Party. We call it Parties and Gatherings Group. And it follows the tour every year, and it helps fans to meet each other and get together. And it's quite funny because I sit in my little apartment up in, in northern Canada in the middle of nowhere with the snow blowing minus 50 outside. And I'm helping people in Europe or South America or Australia get together and have fun and, and, and find out about the tour. And yeah, that's my role. I'm a facilitator. I help other people go and have fun. <laughs> but I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to, to my first time seeing Dylan. That'll be something for me to talk about. You oh, know, my I'll, goodness. I'll be yeah. able to write an article about my experiences there. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I keep I keep hoping our schedules match up. <laughs> oh, eventually. I mean, God, the guy's been to every corner of the globe. Eventually, he's got to cross your path somewhere. A- oh yeah. Well, I talked to someone from South Africa, and he was really upset that Dylan's never been to South Africa. 
I don't, I don't think he's ever toured anywhere in Africa. And India, India's another place with a huge Dylan fan base. Wow. That okay. do a touring. Yeah, yeah. There's fans all over the world. They even have Bob Dylan-themed cafes in India where there's pictures of him on the walls and there's a jukebox that only plays Dylan songs. It's in the middle of a village in India. And, um, <laughs> wow. You know, he has this reach across the globe. And there's a few of us out there who still haven't got to see him in person. So that my time awaits. <laughs> okay. Well, that is, yeah, we're all going to have to pitch in and figure that out. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We have to, yeah, but I mean, by the official Bob Dylan accounts on Twitter. So we got to get everybody, everyone who's listening to this, get on <laughs> them. Yeah. Hashtag. We'll, we'll figure out the hashtag. I don't know what exactly it, it needs to be. Something with your name. Uh, oh my gosh! We have got Viral. to get that in. That's ridiculous. This is absurd. <laughs> I, I, I was totally expecting. I, I asked you that question, figuring the answer was going to be, "Of course, I've seen him seventy-five times." And then, you know, <laughs> I mean, you've written all this stuff about it. Well, that okay. All right. Well, that's a whole other effort we're going to have to put together. But 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 in the meantime, <laughs> let's let's talk about Highlands, uh, which sure. is uh, like I said, this is Bob Dylan's longest song. Uh, oh, yeah. at, at almost 17 minutes. It's funny. I was doing some research because I was like, isn't Tempest longer? And then it is. It's actually shorter by like four minutes. It just to me, it just feels longer. Yep. Uh, but, but but Highlands is Bob Dylan's longest song. It, of course, wraps up Time Out of Mind, which was like the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, the big comeback album. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- why did you want to talk about this one? Oh, well, I sent you a list of songs when yes. we were talking about getting together to do this. You asked me for a list. And when you chose Highlands... I did a little happy dance. I was like, yay, because um, I've just written an article on a lady called Jean Redpath. I don't know if you know her. I do not. Um, she is, uh, was, she unfortunately passed away, um, but she was um, a Scottish singer, a folk singer from Edinburgh. And in 1961, she went over to America um, to explore her career. She wanted to become a singer. She'd been studying at Edinburgh University and she was very knowledgeable about Scottish history, the ballads. Um, she's a sp- specific expert in Robert Burns. And she went over to San Francisco and she was there for about six months and nothing was really happening. And somebody said to her, go over to Greenwich Village. You'll, you'll get stage time over there. You'll get time in the clubs. And, um, you know, there's a lot happening on the East Coast. Why don't you try? So she went over and her first night in New York, somebody pointed her to Bob Dylan's apartment where this is like, late 61. He's very new in New York himself. And uh, they were having a hoot nanny. Uh, Jack Elliott was there, rambling Jack Elliott, and the Greenbrier boys were there. And so Gene Redpath basically went in, joined in the hoot nanny, and ended up at the end of the evening as Bob Dylan's new roommate for six months. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with that happening. But yeah, so she was, I know, can you just imagine? And so like, People don't really know her, but she was actually Dylan's roommate for for a few months in New York. And uh, she is just she knew everything. She was a beautiful singer. Robert Shelton wrote some lovely reviews of her work. um, And she was on Pete Seeger's Rainbow Quest. And uh, she would often sing a cappella with no backing, although she did play the guitar and sometimes played with guitar backing. She could sing in dialect. She had a beautiful deep rounded Scottish voice, um, no side to her, just, you know, she's very authentic, very real. And I have a feeling we can never prove anything, but I have a feeling that a lot of Dylan's Scottish, um, influences through his music 
actually came from Jean Redpath and her con- her contact with him. I, I, I can't believe that she would stay in his apartment for several months and not have an effect on his music. Um, he was supposed to have introduced her um, to Gerdes uh, and things like that. So I really think there was a very close link there between Jean Redpath's music and the, the Scottish links through Dylan's music. And of course, Woody Guthrie had been in Scotland um, during the war when he was shipwrecked. He was in the Merchant Navy, I believe, the Merchant Marine. And uh, and he wrote a, a letter called To That Man, Robert Burns. And Woody Guthrie just adored Robert Burns as well. So I've got a feeling that Dylan had a lot of these Scottish influences coming into his music from different places. And I had been researching that for an article I was doing. And so Highlands fits right in the center of all this research that I was doing. And so when you said, let's talk about Highlands, I was thrilled. I was like, yes, I can talk about Highlands. Bring it on. I can remember when this album came out and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was a big deal because Bob had been doing the couple of covers records and then had sort of been, yeah. you know, dormant, I guess, for lack of a better term, for a couple of years. He did the Unplugged album and then there was a Greatest Hits and there wasn't – and then, there, you know, you, you you got wind of the, oh, he's recorded all new, you know, bunch of songs with Daniel Lenoir and like, wow, this is exciting. And then the the pre-buzz was, oh, he recorded, you know, the 17-minute song. I'm like, What? You know, what? And so, you know, you start listening to this thing and it, I mean, I'm sure to some people, the notion of anybody singing for 17 minutes uh, is pretty grueling. You know, it's like it's one of those like in a God of things where it's just something that just trunches <laughs> along forever. But this, I, this thing really, I, I'm going to probably end up using this word a lot because it, it just, it's the way it's the, it's the one that pops into my head the most, this sort of hypnotic loping feel mm. of this thing i mean part of it is of course the the musicians are the good this that that re- repetitive nature of the notes of just dun, dun, and it just goes on and yep. they just play and play and play but it i mean i've listened to this song i don't know a couple of hundred times at this point and i don't really get tired of it despite the fact that there is a good chunk of it where there doesn't seem to be a lot happening Mm-hmm. Uh, like the first, I, the first I, third, and the final third, it really is just kind of a guy ruminating until he gets to the waitress, and then you've got a particular story <laughs> going on. But it's yep. it's sort of amazing the dreamlike feeling that this thing puts you in, and and like I said, I don't, it, it it's not something that gets tiresome for me, which is amazing considering. I completely agree. Um, I think there's that there's the rhythm of it, which is almost like a walking rhythm. If you've ever listened to this song with your headphones on while you're walking, it is very much a kind of a wandering, yes. not too yes. fast, not too slow. Um, the the riff that he based that on is supposed to come from a Charlie Patton song, So Dylan Said to Howard Sounds in Down the Highway, but um, nobody's ever figured out which Charlie Patton song it is. <laughs> I've tried. I want to be the one to break it, but I, I've tried. I've listened to the hundreds of Charlie Patton recordings, and I'm like, I'm starting to get Charlie Patton out, really. But um, I adore Charlie Patton. I'm never Charlie Patton out. Um, but the, yeah, so... It's just this kind of, it's in E, and it's just this repetitive blues riff at that nice walking walking beat. And there's no chorus, except the repeated My Heart's in the Highlands bit. <laughs> there's no bridge. It's just, and and yet, it, yeah, like you say, I love that word hypnotic. It really is. It's mesmerizing. And it's like you can hear what's going on in his head. It's like you can see his thoughts. And I just, I love it. And 
there's two other things. I mean, the length, I was laughing when you talked about the length of six, 16 minutes, 32 seconds or something it is. And um, I think there was an interview with uh, Jim Dickinson, who um, I think he played keyboards on, on the album. And he said after they recorded this, you know, he said, Someone came out of the yeah, recording yeah. <laughs> and said, you know, oh, Bob, that's really great, but if you've got a short version, and Dylan just looks and goes, that was the short version. <laughs> I would love to have heard the long version. I mean, we all know the length of, like, Rolling Stone before he cut it down from however many pages, but, gee, I would love to hear the full version of this song because I just, I think it's wonderful, and I think there's there's a cadence to it and there's a pattern to it, and but it just keeps switching from one thing to another so I never get bored. It's always something new and something different every... Yeah, I I think it's a great song. I I I never get tired. I have that Dickinson thing in my notes because I wanted to mention that. I love that anecdote of Bob saying that is the short version. And what I love about it is when when you record a song at this length, especially... uh, I mean, you know, it's not like Time Out of Mind is a bunch of short songs, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're all like five, six, seven minute long songs. I think Mickey Feel My Love is the only one that's really short. But I mean, mm-hmm. they're all long songs, and then it's like, oh yeah, you thought those were long. Well, here's this one. There's there's <laughs> something about Dylan is communicating to his audience. It, it's kind of it's almost like the song is long for its own sake. It's almost just like right. it's kind of pointing. It it's there's like this metatextual thing going on where it's like, look, you know that you're li- you know, you out there listening to this, you know this is absurd that this song is going on so long. And and you know it's long, and you know that I know that it's absurd that it's going on the phone, but we're just going to go on this journey together. And, yep. you know, and that there's something about that. And it for an album where Bob is sounding so concerned with death, so mm-hmm. concerned with endings, dissolution, yep. uh, depression, desolate, all these fun things he loves to talk yep. about. By yep. the sheer fact of doing a song 17 minutes long is kind of a almost goofy kind of very upbeat kind of tone to take of like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm dark and I'm sad and this is all, I'm lovesick and I'm standing in the doorway crying, but here I'm now going to sing for 17 minutes. And in, in a song where a bunch of funny stuff happens on top of it. Oh, there's so many puns and jokes in there. It's great. That's another reason I never get tired of it, but I think you're right. And I think the the position of it on the album is perfect too, with it being the last song as well. And I think that fits in with a lot of other things that Dylan has done. Like, it's not it's not set in stone, but it's kind of a pattern where you see with, like, the last song on Blonde on Blonde is Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, right, which right. is another long one. You've got um, Journey Through Dark Heat is another one that's an ending song. Um, you've got Ain't Talking, which I know you did a podcast on that as well. That's an end-of-album song that brings everything together, brings all the themes together. And Sugar Baby even, Desolation Road, there's another one. These songs that he puts at the end of albums, they all have that feeling to them. Yeah. And and it's almost like there's a journey that we're going on. And what I like about it, and like this is just me listening to it, and I know a lot of what we talk about is just personal perspective. But when I listen to it, it's almost like when he gets to the end, I don't want to talk about the end before we get there, but there's an upbeat feeling to it where, okay, like I'm walking off into the distance now, but you're going to see me again. There's mm-hmm. something else to come. I'm still on this journey. There's something I'm going to figure out. There's somewhere I've got to go. And we'll meet again and we'll go on that journey again for a bit, you know, and that's what I really love. Yeah. And the, so, uh, well, yeah, I, the, the final, I, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to jump around. We can't help it. But I mean, the final <laughs> verse where he talks about there's a way to get there 
and I'll figure yeah. it out somehow. Now, I have read lots of other people talk about that, like, you know, oh, Dylan is referring to another one of his songs. And I, I always feel a little no. hesitant about that because I think that Bob Dylan has more things to do than to mm-hmm. leave Easter eggs, you know, for his fans <laughs> to kind of like, ooh, this will really get him. I'm going to refer to, you know, to Ramona in this line and somebody's going to get – I don't think Bob worries about that. That's, I don't think he cares. That said <laughs> – to me, you just talked about it. The preeminent, the dominant line is the way the song ends. Is there's a way to get there, and I can't help but think of the line from All Along the Watchtower. There's got to be some way out of here. Yeah. This this yep. determination of the distance that I need to cross to get yep. to where I need to go. I I you know I can't hear those two lines, not hear them together, just because to me they're so it's they're so dominant. Absolutely. And I think that's all part of it. It is a journey. I think that we've been on this right the way from the first album that Dylan ever made. And I think that he's inviting us on the journey with him at some points. And, you know, some points we meet up and we share these journeys and then we go off and do other things and then we come back again. And it, it's, um, you know, all those themes come together. And I just you've already mentioned them, you know, I mean, I think the uh, the aging death time passing, mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's in the album too. If you start looking at like, um, not dark yet, trying to get to heaven, cold irons bound, and even songs like can't wait. There's, there's an edge to them that really borders on mental health issues that are being discussed, but very frank and very open because we all go through them, right? We all Mm -hmm. suffer from Mm -hmm. times of depression, times of frustration, times when we feel disconnected from the world. And I think this is, you know, this one song, Highlands, it kind of brings all those themes together. So I'm, I'm really interested to get going and, and see what we can pull out of this, because I can tell you're going to have some good ideas, too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, uh, I normally, of course, over the course of any given episode, I try and quote, uh, I try and read all the lyrics across the song. But we're not going to do that here because we'd be, we'd be here for two hours. Uh, I do want to mention, of course, he named, he named Chuck, named Chuck, excuse me, name checks Neil Young. In the very mm-hmm. next verse, he says, I'm listening to Neil Young. I got to turn up the sound. Someone's always yelling, turn it down. I'm drifting from scene to scene. And then in the very next verse, he talks about this thing you just mentioned. Where he says, insanity is smashing yep. up against my soul. You could say I was on anything but a roll. And it's funny because in another song from this record that was left off, Dreaming of You, there's a line mm-hmm. in that about things driving me insane. So, I mean, yep. that, that is something he comes back to a lot of this idea of losing one's mind which is very very troubling to hear from anybody but when you hear yeah. it as many times as bob uses it, it is a little like wow I, I just, you know is he is he more troubled than i imagine he is i, I don't know yep I, I i agree with you and it's definitely a theme that goes right the way through um not just this album but future albums as well and it, it's um one thing I like about that line, actually, that insanity is smashing up against my soul. I mentioned it in, in my article about his voice because Dylan uses pauses uh, and breaks to wonderful effect. He's got the timing of a top comedian, really, for puns. He sure does. Yes. And, um, you know, so at that little that little couplet, those two lines, insanity is smashing up against my soul. You could say it was on anything but a roll. <laughs> There's a pause in between them. So like me being English and I mean, you're American listeners and you're American. You might not look at this the same way, but the first time I ever heard this, 
I actually stopped and did a double take. It would have been like a cartoon, looked at the, the CD player, went, what? Because it's like insanity is smashing. Smashing means wonderful. Right, right. Smashing means fun. You know, you say, oh, that's smashing. You know, insanity is smashing. No, up against my soul. Ah, okay, <laughs> I've got it. You could say it was on anything. On what? On drugs, um, you know, um, on alcohol, on medication. No, he's on anything but a role. And it's almost like there's a little bit of a, a twist there for me as a listener. And uh, I, I love moments like that in Dylan that make you just question what's going to come next. Yeah, that line, yeah, you that could line. say I was on anything but a role is kind of just, it's 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 humorous the way it's done. You could yeah. say I was on anything but a role. Like, it's this kind of mordant, like, yeah, all right, you could, you know, yeah, all right, you could say I was anything. And, yeah. then, and then he ends the, the bit with, he says, what would I do with it anyway if I had conscious, maybe take it to the pawn shop. This kind of, yeah. again, this sort of shruggy, eh, you know, I don't know, I'd probably just get yeah. rid of it, I don't know. You know? <laughs> like the, yeah, exactly. It, it's such dark thoughts, but yet it's done, and as you talk, he really is very funny. I don't, he does not get enough credit for that. I mean, George Harrison said, uh, you know, oh, everybody takes Bob so seriously, but he's such a joker, you know. Now, yep. of course, Harrison had insights to Bob that the rest of us do not, because he yep. hung out with him and stuff. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, there is a lot of humor in this, and you're right, the love his use of pauses. It really is. Yep. It is under undervalued, but very yep. effective. I agree. And that's one of the things that means you never get bored of a song of this length because of the way he phrases and takes pauses. And and it's he's a master of that. He just brings the listener on with him. When I listen, I don't realize 16, 17 minutes of my life have gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just immersed in the song and enjoying the ride he's taking us on. Um, it has been performed live like nine times right right (laughs) um which is also astounding for a song of that length and to be honest like i've never i've never timed them when i've listened to the live versions how long are they uh i heard the one uh it's not 17 minutes it's like something like 13 and he messes up some of the words too at one point you can (laughs) even hear him kind of screw it up and again that that's another thing about where it's like that's kind of commuting to communicating to your audience in a metatextual way of like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this absurd thing. I'm going to play this 17 minute song. You just sit there and listen to me do this. You know, <laughs> there's just something about that. of like, there's like this wink in his voice kind of where he's yep. like, all right, let's, all right, everybody get comfortable. Here we go. They, you know, and then we're just going to have the band just play those notes over and over and over for the guys. Don't screw up. Okay. <laughs> and you can imagine the people in the audience who came for like the greatest hits and they're looking at each other going like, what the hell's going on? What's he playing now? I can't yeah. hear the words. You know, it's. Uh, uh, I'd love to see people's faces when he did that. That's uh, that's that's an awesome thing for him to do. You're right. There's like this metacognitive level of he knows. Yeah. He knows. You know that yeah. he knows. Yes, exactly. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, In the very next verse, he talks about, he says, big white clouds like chariots that swing down low. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. there's a reference to swing low, sweet chariot, which is, again, this is, this stuff just is such seeded into all of, I mean, we're already, we already talked about Robert Burns. I mean, my heart's in the highlands is from is Robert Burns. I mean, he's already setting up this, this context where he's taking these things from other sources and then plugging it in for his own use. But then he's Mm -hmm. dropping in these other references from other mm-hmm. songs from all the past and it's like that 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 was one of those things where uh i was vaguely familiar with the song sweet low sweet cherry you just kind of hear it yep. over time and then when i heard it in highland i go where do i 
think I know. Like, what? That sounds familiar. What is that? Yeah, and then yeah. it took three or four times. I went, oh, okay. Swing low. There we go. He's got that. So it's. And that's such a beautiful reference because um, the words of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home, it, it's, you know, he mentions going home. And also there's this, there's this double meaning of Highlands. Obviously, he adores Scotland. Um, he bought a house up there with his brother David. It's like a hotel type mansion up in the Highlands. I never spot. knew. I never heard that. That's, a, that's um, amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, probably about maybe ten years ago now. I don't know if he still owns it. I'm not <laughs> sure. But yes, he's got a house up there in the Highlands, and he does play Scotland and he does visit Scotland. And he got an honorary degree um, as well. So you know, from St Andrews in Scotland, and so he has all these connections to Scotland. So, And he mentions Aberdeen in the first verse. So you know he's placing it as the Highlands of Scotland. There's all the references to Robert Burns, as you say. But also there's that second meaning of the Highlands being like heaven. Right. You know, it's like that kind of, um, you know, he's trying to get to heaven, which is another song on the album. It's part of that journey. Um, you know, it's that, it's that contrast during the song where these kind of idyllic, rural verses are like a paradise that he's aiming for. He's trying to find, how do I get there when I feel good enough to go? Not even just good enough in health, but good enough as a person. You know, you've got to be good to be going to heaven, you know? And so I think that by just putting in that one line, like, the, you know, uh, like chariots that swing down low, it just brings everything back together with one small reference. He can do that. He can pick out those words and just put them in the right place. Yeah. And bring all of that imagery back to, together. It's great. Right. And then that verse ends where he says, my heart's in the Highlands, only place left to go. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and then, of course, the very next verse, we are now in Boston. So it's like <laughs> he was, he's already kind of jerked you out of this thing of like, wait a minute. Oh, wait, hold on. For the, for the last four minutes, this guy's been talking about there's only one place to go which is the Highlands, and now we're in Boston. Okay? You know, like, you're constantly yeah. having to... And that really... I mean, we were, we talked about this off-air, about, like, you know, how to tackle a song of this size. And it, it really is yep. kind of got this three-act structure, where you've got this first chunk where it's kind of meandering, and then now we've got the second chunk where he's in a definitive place. He's in Boston, he's in some restaurant, and even... I mean, and he, this guy is so lost, he's in this restaurant, he has no idea what he wants... And he says, mm -hmm. well, maybe I do, but I'm just not really not sure. So he's not even sure if he's unsure. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. And I think this is this is what's great about this, this particular song, though, is that it's all the time you've got this confusion where you've got the concrete real life, which is almost surreal in a way. And then you've got this dream thing, which seems more more real than the real life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but when I listen to it, it's, it's, he has this kind of, um, actually he's used this in other songs too, where the urban parts of, of, of life are very negatively viewed and you're very trapped. Um, he seems to be, you know, he talks about life in the same old cage going round and round in circles. And after he comes out of the restaurant, you know, it's, there's a busy street, but nobody's going anywhere. Everybody's running around in circles, but they're not actually doing anything. And that comes up in other songs too, where you get, um, even in like a rolling stone, you've got the girl is very 
how can I say it, very worldly. You know, she's she's uh, educated she's at the university. You talk about her her pearls and, and all of the material stuff that she has. And it's seen in a pretty negative light. And yet you get a song like Isis, where Isis is in the meadow and she's connected to more rural concerns and less materialistic concerns. And, you know, so she's more of the ideal. And then you've got... Um, you're going to make me lonesome when you go. And all of the, the beautiful imagery in there that's all of the, um, the flowers and the countryside and the meadows, and that's where you're calm, that's where you're relaxed. Towns and cities and materialism and all of that human activity seems to be very confusing and very entrapping and very, um, very, very negative. And it hurts people's mental health or it hurts his mental health anyway. Right, yeah. I mean, when we get to the point in the in the restaurant here, uh, which, again, is to me the funniest part of the, the, the song because of the absurdist mm-hmm. nature of the, the interaction that he has with this waitress, it also yeah. does feel kind of nightmarish because he, he talks about, he says, it must be a holiday. There's nobody around, uh, which, yeah. is, which is kind of got this, you know, dark and you know ghostly sort of feel to it and then you're like and the 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 narrator doesn't even really seem to understand how he got here he's just here he's in boston uh he talks about the the the, he talks about the the waitress she's got a pretty face and long white shiny legs and this is something i this is a little far afield of of the song but i'm curious i want to take this opportunity to ask you about this um, mm-hmm. because I haven't had that many, uh, female guests on the show. I would like to have yep. more, but I, I, and so when I have this opportunity, I want to ask you, Dylan in his songs, especially his later period songs, um, makes, I'd say a lot of mentions of, um, sex yep. and, and physical beauty, you know, physical yep. attractiveness of, of women in particular. And yep. I, I, I'm kind of curious just from your opinion, how do you feel about that? Like, does it feel a little like a little shallow? Does it, does it not? I'm, I'm sort of just curious as to what your take on that is. Oh boy, you might open a can of worms asking me that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that there is definitely, there is an image of an ideal woman. There's actually an essay on this. There's a book about Bob Dylan and philosophy um, and it has a collection of essays in, and there is an essay on um, the the way women are portrayed in Dylan's songs. And you know, I just mentioned like a Rolling Stone, um, but if you if you take his view of women, you know, it's the long hair rolling and curling over her shoulders, and you know, it's he has this view of women that's almost quite old fashioned, mm-hmm. and you have. Remember that Bob Dylan grew up and became of age, became a teenager in the 1950s. And probably his view of women is shaped by what was going on in society at the time and what the women in in, in uh, his childhood were like. And, and, you know, you think about, for example, his girlfriend, Echo Hellstrom, right. when he was in Hibbing. She didn't fit that at all. She was a bit of a wild child from what I've read, you know, with the, the blonde hair and, and the makeup and riding on the back of motorbikes probably wasn't a very good uh, thing for ladies to be doing back in the 1950s. <laughs> so, you know, he's obviously um, and, you know, he, he with his relationship with uh, Suze Rotolo and with uh, uh, with Joan Baez. I mean, they're very powerful women with their own views and, and their own um political activities and so he you know he he obviously really 
he surrounds himself with women who are strong and do have those kind of, uh, you know, the powerful independent women. But in the songs, they often come across the, the female figures as being um, not so independent and not so weak. Um, I was just talking to somebody, um, had a discussion about um, a completely different song, Is Your Love in Vain? Okay. And from Street Legal. And, you know, we're talking about his his um, demands in that song about women. Can you cook and sow, make flowers grow? And it's all about what he needs in a relationship, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Do you love me? Can I count on you? Are you trustworthy? Are you just saying you love me just to make me feel good? Or do you really love me? And those kind of questions are very, like, it's almost like the woman's only there to fulfill his needs and for, to make him feel secure. But, you know, I think you've got to take things in context because he wrote Street Legal coming straight out of his divorce with Sarah. And I don't like talking about personal stuff. I have Mm -hmm. the sister principle where I say, if you don't want somebody talking about your sister that way, then you don't talk about other people that way. And I tend to do that with Dylan, too. But it's it's on record that, you know, he was divorced and, and this was his first album that he wrote after that happened. And so here's a guy who's faced insecurity, a breakdown of his family, um, and he's looking to to find a new relationship. And he's obviously wanting to make sure that it's the right one. And so I don't take it as being quite as sexist as some people have taken it, but I still get a little bit worried sometimes about the, the wording that's used to describe women in the songs. And I think as a fan, one thing I do find online, I'm sorry, I'm I'm kind of... You, you push the button. That, no, hey, I, that's what I wanted to find out. Absolutely, no. Well, one of the things I find as a fan online is that I have some very, very supportive male friends in the Dylan community who have helped me to write and helped me to formulate my ideas and get my ideas out there. And um, there are others. There's a certain kind of uh, male Dylan fan who tries to shut down women's voices, and I know. We have a mutual friend in Laura who does the Definitely Dylan podcast. And she's had this experience online, too, when she's been trying to be productive. She has had, you know, some doors closed to her or some people try and close her down. And it's usually male voices. I've been told by male Dylan fans that women can never understand Dylan, that women don't get it, that he's not writing for women. He's writing for men. You know, so you get these kind of um, barriers that you come up against as as a female fan. And me, I just keep jumping over those barriers and keep going anywhere. I'm like, okay, thank you for your input, but it's not needed. Here I go. Um, you know, so, and there is actually a part in the waitress scene, to bring it back to Highlands, there's a part in the waitress scene that does deal with feminism. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, right. Yes. So, well, you know. wow. Nice job there, by the way. You <laughs> wrapping it all the way back around. That's, <laughs> right back. <laughs> by the way, your comment about that there were men who say women can't understand Bob Dylan. I, I would I would pound the microphone with my head, but I don't want to knock it off the table here. So um, I'm yeah. mentioning the face palm. That's OK. Right. I mean, part of the, the thing. I mean, uh, yeah. OK. I mean, well, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too derailed on this, but it, it's interesting to me because. It's when I can speak from my, my own experiences. When you're a guy growing up, women's attractiveness, like mentioning their fe- mentioning a woman's attractiveness, is unfortunately just something that you. It's, it becomes coin of the realm. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just the standard thing for a lot of men. And when you're and you're a guy and you grow up in that, you don't notice that that's. 
I don't want to say wrong, but you don't notice it. It just becomes part of mm-hmm. your background. And you it's only yep. after you take some steps back and you go, well, no, wait a minute, hold on. Do we have to mention you know, someone's physical yep. features every time? I mean, how many times has Bob mentioned meeting a man in a song and he doesn't mention their attractiveness? It doesn't come up. Yeah. It's not a thing. Um, I mean, oh, now yeah. I will say that probably and, – and we never know the different – you know, the, the dividing line between the the man – Robert Allen Zimmerman, who who lives mm-hmm. and, and eats and, and sleeps and has children and has great, oh my God, great grandchildren at this point. Oh, and, wow, and, yeah. and the character who is the song, who is in the song, I'm not, would never suggest yeah. that you know, they, these words are literally Bob Dylan. This is him putting on some level of a persona. That said, right. Bob Dylan leads a life where he is probably, uh, a lot of people probably throw themselves at him. Uh, yeah, whether yeah. it be in a sexual context or otherwise, he has opportunities open to him that most of us will never have simply because of who he mm-hmm. is. And so I have yeah. to wonder, does that alter your perception of other people when there are probably lots of people who just throw themselves at you because you are who you are? And I have to wonder, does that maybe start you know, filtering in a little now? Getting back to Highlands, it could literally mm-hmm. be something as simple as he mentions her bright, shiny legs because he needed a rhyme for eggs at the end of the verse. <laughs> that could be it. And actually, I've got some points about eggs to make, but there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it could be it could be as simple as that. And I think there's definitely a cultural element to it that, you know, um, you know, I've done a lot of research about um, how women are perceived. Um and there, there is, unfortunately, even in business, you know, if a woman is good looking and well groomed and well dressed, they are perceived as being more effective and more uh, competent at their job, even if they're not, than somebody who maybe isn't quite so attractive and not so well dressed. So, you know, you you do face these these uh, barriers as a woman. But at the same time, that is a cultural thing. That's not Bob Dylan's fault or right. it's not a man's fault. It's a cultural thing. And you know, we're getting there one step at a time, as Dylan says with the Highlands. And <laughs> and I think people are more aware of it now. But I, I think as well that, um, well, I just, I just think that Dylan is a man who reacts to women as well, which is kind of nice in a way. You know, he, he kind of has female characters in his songs. And, um, you know, that's a really positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. A lot of his female characters are very interesting and that's a positive thing. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to judge him too harshly for that. History will judge him. Right. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> no, it's something that just occurs to me. And then I realize yeah. it's like, well, I know how I hear it as a man. I just hear it differently than how a woman is going to hear it, obviously. And so that was always been interested in, in finding out like what, what you think about it. Obviously your opinion represents all women everywhere. So now we've said, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's it. But I mean, it's, it's just as a sideline as well. I mean, we have, um, we've run quite a few fan groups on Facebook and if you look at the percentage of how many women to men there are, there's actually about 30 to 40 percent of, of the members of the groups are women and about 60 percent are men. So there's definitely way more male fans than female fans online who are joining the groups on Facebook who are interested in Bob Dylan. I, I, I don't will, know if that means anything, but, you know, 
I, I will. I will. This will be the last comment I'll make on this particular topic because we are still in Boston in this song. We have a lot Absolutely. more to go. But I uh, want to but talk about having <laughs> right. I mean, I grew up since I was a small child reading comic books, and that was considered completely not cool. And now it's all cool, you know, whatever. But growing mm-hmm. up, I was in the. I lived in the dark ages, you know, where you had to be ashamed of that stuff. And you know, you went to comic book conventions, and they were men only. You know, they were. They weren't. They mm-hmm. weren't. They, they weren't supposed to be but they were and the idea out there that there are men who want to enjoy something and get mad that there are women there is totally i cannot (laughs) comprehend that at all i would when i was a child i would have killed another human being to have a couple of girls at a comic-con that would have been the greatest thing ever so all you men out there that complain about this stuff just shut up just stop. Yep. Stop complaining. It's ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. I'd be well, perfectly happy. it's the same happy. with on- online gaming, right? Like yeah, the online gaming anything. community. They give, they give women such a hard time. The uh, women who are uh, famous, you know. Anything. It's, any yeah. any endeavor that you're really I mean, interested in. It's fun to have around. Like, you know. I, I don't I, Yeah, I don't understand it. So, okay. So, there's that. So, okay. Let's get back to Boston now. He's talking to the, the waitress okay. here. And the waitress, yep. of course, makes a demand on him. She says, I know you're an artist. Draw a picture of me. And he says, well, I could, but I don't do sketches from memory, which, again, is a weird line. She's like, wait a minute. Is this some sort of dream he's having? Is he kind of having a lucid dream where he's realizing he's in a dream because he's, you know, like presumably this woman is right in front of him and yet she's not. And she's, she's like, I'm right here in front of you. Haven't looked. And he says, I don't have my drawing book. She gives me a napkin. Do it on that. And then he says, I don't know where my pencil is at. For the love of God, how much subtext can we have in this exchange? <laughs> if we're going Freudian with pencils, and, yeah. yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a really great. This is a really great little um, byline in this song. It's almost like a what, what's the word? Uh, intermezzo. You know, you've got this little bit in the middle that just slides in that doesn't really fit with the rest of the song, but it still does fit with the rest of the song. Um, and it's great. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's it's kind of funny that it's almost like a slapstick. I don't know if you've ever seen W.C. Fields did a did um, a little sketch called The Diner where he goes in and there's the waitress who's grouchy and there's nothing on the menu except eggs. And, oh, really? uh, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you should look it up. It's on YouTube for free. So everyone should go and look at W.C. Fields with the, the waitress. And the, he tries to flirt with her, but she's having none of it. She's like a real stony-faced lady and she she flirts with the good looking guy who comes in but she doesn't want to flirt with wc fields of course and uh but it's a really good little sketch and you know basically goes down the menu and everything's off the menu except for eggs eggs and toast and yeah so that's a really funny little little uh i'm sure bob has seen it (laughs) i think he has and then you've got the marx brothers they at night of the opera they had the scene where groucho's ordering dinner from the steward he's outside the room and he keeps saying you know um after everything he orders, he orders the juice, and then Chico and Harpo are hiding in the room, and Chico's through the door saying, and two hard-boiled eggs, and two hard-boiled eggs. Well, you know, we'll have we... some beef, and we'll have some chicken, and two hard-boiled eggs, and two hard-boiled eggs, and Harpo honks his horn, honk, make it three hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> and so it's like, and it goes on and on and on, and everything that Groucho orders, and two hard-boiled eggs, honk, make it three hard-boiled eggs, after every single order. Well, so, you know. We will. I think we know that Dylan is a fan of Marx Brothers because he's mentioned yep. he's he's quoted the Marx Brothers in other songs as well. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's familiar with the martial arts. Amazing. It's just, yeah. uh, I mean. And so it's got that slapstick comedy to it. It has does. This scene. Even though it's deeper and it's got darker tones, it still has that kind of the, this, the funny the funny jokes and the double entendres. And right. It's great. Just, and you kind of wonder about the, sorry, um, you kind of wonder about the waitress, whether she's symbolic of something as well. Well, you have to uh, figure, because I mean, she, she, he does the drawing. And he mm-hmm. hands it to her, and then she says, that doesn't look a thing like me, which is the classic, the, 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 the audience demands something of the artist. The artist, totally. the artist gives it to them, and then they reject it. <laughs> yeah. I've written that in my notes, actually. That's, that's what Dylan must face all the time, you know? And, um, and I mean, this was a time before, um, before Dylan was known as a, an artist, really. Um, you know, all of his drawn blank series and the Brazil series and everything came out way later than this album although people did know he was drawing because he did sketches and and uh and it makes me think of the this whole scene makes me think as well of the christopher sykes interview that he did for the bbc i don't know if you've ever seen that um during filming hearts of fire in 1986 he did an interview with uh christopher sykes and they're in his trailer and dylan sketches a picture of christopher sykes on the back of a piece of paper while they're interviewing oh no i've not really, seen that you, you should see it again. It's on YouTube and it's a really interesting Dylan's body language is absolutely fascinating through that. Um, but Christopher Sykes is this very proper British interviewer and he draws the picture of Sykes while he's interviewing Dylan, Dylan sketches. And, uh, it really makes me think of that. This, you know, that you're absolutely right that it's almost like Dylan's offering something up and then people look at it and go, no, I don't want that. Or that that's after, not what, what it's it, that's what right. I, and after right. they've demanded it. It's not even like he's just exactly. offering it of his own. They're like, hey, give me this thing. The artist is like, Well, I don't know. No, 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 give me it. All yeah. right, all right, here you go. No, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> it's like Exactly. And it's almost like though that she wanted him to flatter her, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like she was expecting this like pretty picture because she knows she's got a pretty face and long white shiny legs, right? right so right, she's expecting right. this. But his vision of her is different from her interpretation of herself. Right. So it's like she sees it, it's like that's that doesn't look like me. I don't look like that. And he's like, oh, you certainly do. And <laughs> and and he he kind of like, but he doesn't back down. This is what I love about it is he does not back down. He's like, oh, kind miss, it certainly does. And um, you know, she says you must be joking. He said, I wish I was. You know, because that's you know. That's how he, whatever, whatever he drew, that's how he sees her and it horrifies her. She throws it back at him. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, but that's how he, that's really how he sees her. And that is just a wonderful moment where you're right. It's kind of like, you know, they demand it off him. They don't like it. They throw it back, but he stands firm and says, nope. <laughs> That's it. That's how I see it. You can either take it or leave it, but that's how I see it. It's fantastic. And I love that. It's so Dylan-esque. It's it awesome. really is. And then she abruptly changes the subject where she says, you don't read women authors, do you? Which is, I, I'm taking it as that's her kind of snidely, you know, sort yeah. of saying, oh, you you know, you're just kind of like a guy. You probably just don't even, you're not really well-versed. And then if he says, yeah. And then he's just, at least that's what I think I heard her say. And then, he's, and then he says, how would you know? What would it matter anyway? And then she's like, well, just, you don't seem like you do. Well, you're way wrong. Which ones have you read then? Well, I've read Erica Jong, which is yep. like kind of a, what the hell? And then the only you know, thing I can think of, and I read this, is that, of course, Erica Jong wrote Fear of Flying, 
Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. later wrote, I think, Fear of 50, which was talking about aging. Yeah. And of course, that's all this every virtually every song in this album is about a fear of aging and a fear of, fear of death. Absolutely. And also out of all of the feminist writers, like she was the one who really opened up this kind of, you know, let's look at the reality of women's sexuality, about fantasies and about how women really see men and about relationships and, and um, how like she wrote about um you know, sex without the relationship, you know, it's just a one night stand kind of thing, no emotional attachments. She wrote about that from a very honest perspective. And, you know, so I think, um, you know, out of all the feminist writers to pick, as well as rhyming very well in the song, <laughs> Erica Jong is a really good one for him to pick because it would be the kind of thing that would give a man insight into women's sexual needs and and also, like you say, this fear of death, fear of aging, fear of commitment, fear of relationships, it just all fits together so perfectly. And then, of course, the waitress is like, she's got no comeback to that, right? So he uses that excuse to slide on out of his chair That's and right. leave after that. Yeah, then he leaves. And now he's back outside. And now we're kind of in the third part, the third and final act of the of the song. And he talks, yeah. and he goes about my heart's in the highlands with the horses and hounds. With the twang of the arrow, the snap of the bow, everything is the same thing out the door. I feel further away than ever before. Some things in life, it gets too late to learn. Well, I'm lost somewhere. I must have made a few bad turns. And, you know, I mean, I think anybody can relate to that notion of where you make each move in your life and it makes sense in the moment. And then you find yourself so far away from where you thought you were going to be that you're like, how the hell did I get it? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, it all made sense in the moment. And now you're here and you're way away from where you thought you would be. And so that's, mm -hmm. you know, I find that very resonant. Uh, because, And especially that's kind of, in a lot of ways to me, the darkest part of the song. And it comes right after that, yeah. the high comedy of the waitress pit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think that there's those, those words, you know, I feel further away. Uh, it's too late to learn how to do things differently now it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing um and i'm lost that goes back he's he's lost so many times in the the song um and it's like it's just continuing all those th themes but he's still trying to figure out how to get to those highlands right i mean the 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 the, the encounter in the in the in, in the the diner uh was a distraction uh you know it's mm -hmm. kind of this he's back on the trail of trying to get back to the highlands and then he wanders through this park and he talks about seeing uh, young men and young women looking so good well i trade places with any of them in a minute if i could and i always found that again very interesting in that again he's talking about women young women looking so good but he's also talking about young men and when he says i trade places with any of them in a minute, if yeah. I could, which is, of course, not just saying I'd trade places with that young man to be with those yeah. young, good looking young women. It's it's more about he just wishes he could almost start over. He could just be young again. And it, wouldn't yeah. ma and it doesn't matter whether he's a man or a woman. He just wants to be young again. I agree. And earlier in the song, he said, you know, he wants someone to come and turn back the clock for right, me. Right. And definitely the, the focus on youth is absolutely spot on. And of course, they're in a park and. It's interesting because it's almost like that park is a little bit of the countryside in the middle of this urban area. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they go just to distract themselves, just to have that break. Um, you know, they're forgetting their troubles and woes, and he wants to be able to forget his too. And so, you know, 
but he can't, he just sees this as a transient thing and he can't go there himself. It's almost like he's barred from this, uh, I don't know whether it's his own, um, you know, he's put his own barriers in place or whether there, it really is that this place is only for young people. But he can't go. He sees them. They're drinking. They're dancing. They're all dressed nicely. And they're young. And he wants to be back there. And I think this is really interesting as well because it puts him in the position of observer. The only time he takes part in anything is the waitress scene in the in the diner. The rest of the time he's observing and there's, again, I'm going back to that Christopher Sykes interview. Really watch it. It's incredible. There's one point where Bob Dylan says that people say they want fame and fortune when really all they want is fortune. They don't want fame. He says he can walk past a restaurant. He can walk past a bar and he'll look through the window and everybody will be in there having fun. They're having drinks. They're watching TV. They're watching the game. If he walks through that door, he knows everything would change. People would go quiet. People would start mobbing him. People would change the way they're interacting. He doesn't get a chance to go and do that anymore and be a normal person, you know, be an average Joe. And he talks about that. And there's some interviews as well going back into the 60s where he talks about the fact of, uh, of what makes somebody successful um, and it seems to me like there's a part of him that really doesn't like being famous. Mm -hmm. And you see this when he goes around in disguise and he tries not to, you know, get noticed. He wants to go out and he wants to see people just being themselves, not acting as though there's a rock star in the room, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's kind of sad in a way when he's watching them in the song, he's watching these young people. And you think about him in real life. I mean, I was watching a, somebody put a video on Facebook and it really, it nearly broke my heart of um, him in Prague last week, you know, people chasing him with cell phones and he's just trying to go for a walk. He's got his security all around him. He's got his hoodie up. And it, it, it was just so intrusive that he's a guy who just wants to, you know, go for a walk and see Prague and he's just being mobbed everywhere. And that kind of felt sad to me. Yeah. Um, and I feeling of sadness from this song as well, that he's watching people enjoying life and doing all these things and he's not a part of it. It, it, there's there's uh, there's something I want to respond to with that, but then there's this other. Thing. I'm trying to keep all my thoughts straight. Um, that comment you made about Bob saying about go for fortune, it's it, that's very yeah. interesting to me because that reminds me a lot of an interview I saw with Bill Murray many years ago. Bill Murray is someone else who I admire deeply as a creative oh, person. Yes. I love him. And Bill Bill Murray said once that people say to him all the time, "Boy, I'd love to be rich and famous too." And he said, "My mm -hmm. advice is to you is." Go for rich and see if that doesn't solve ninety percent of your problems. And I like I, I have always thought about that. I've so far failed at that, but I've I've always thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, you really don't want fame. What you want is the the endless choices available to you that wealth brings. So that's really yes. what you want. Um, so that's interesting that these two people who I admire very much uh, said mm -hmm. something very similar. But getting back to your comment about the looking at the young people looking so good. That makes me think of an uh, back to the Jim Dickinson interview. Mm -hmm. There was a that thing is man, that thing is gold. That interview, I read that interview it fifty thousand times. It's so interesting. Yep. But he talks yep. about in that interview, he talks about that he talked with Bob at some point about the never ending tour and why he still does mm -hmm. it. And he said, "Look, he's like, I don't want to say that I'm speaking for Bob here, but." He's kind of paraphrasing what Bob said and that he said there was a point where Bob was touring and he was seeing the same people over and over again. And it got a little dispiriting 
because he just sort right. of felt like, well, I'm just kind of preaching to the same people over and over again. But then he said mm-hmm. over time, he decided that he started to see more and more young people at his concerts. And that was mm-hmm. part of the inspiration for doing Time Out of Mind because he said, these are new people. They deserve new songs. Like they deserve new things to hear. Right. And he said that in, in, in his mind, the whole thing just got better in his mind. The Never Ending Tour mm-hmm. just got better is that he kept seeing more and more diverse people, more and more people of different ages coming to hear what he had to say. And I, I even though this has kind of got a negative connotation to it, I, I can't help but think of that, of that he's out there on stage and all of yep. a sudden he's seeing people in their 20s that he maybe didn't see not that long ago. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a great quote from the interview and absolutely spot on. Um, and I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons why Dylan does keep touring. <laughs> I think yeah. it energizes him to see new people. Yeah. Um, how could it not? Absolutely. How could it not? You know? So, I mean, he, so he, he crosses the street to get away from a mangy dog. He talks to himself in a monologue and he mentions, I might need a full length leather coat. And then he says, somebody just asked me if I registered to vote. Now I'm curious as to what your take on what that line quote unquote means. I take it as it's it. I don't take the registering to vote means anything in particular. What I take it as he this is a guy who is depressed he's ruminating he's trying to sort of sort out his life and he's somebody's just bugging him you know somebody's just yeah. in his face with something i don't think that the voting has any real commentary it's it's kind of like where you go through life where you're having a bad day whether it's at work or you're in the i've heard lots of things where women say men go up and say hey why don't you smile you know like why don't you f off <laughs> you know yeah. mind your goddamn business but i i I've experienced that too, where I'm, I'm in a dark mood for some reason. And I'm, my mind is consumed with something else. And someone else is like, Hey, why do you look so miserable? Well, maybe I have a good reason to be miserable. You know, like maybe, you know, maybe there's a good reason. So that's how I always took it as this is a guy that's very, very sad. And here's somebody like shoving a a clipboard in his face, you know, and he's just like, just leave me alone. Absolutely. And I think it, it all comes back as well. It's like it's the intrusion of the real life on he's having these kind of thoughts and he's having the dreams of the Highland. And there's real life right in his face, you know, right, right. sticking his nose in and, and, and asking him a question when he doesn't want to be asked a question. Um, and I, I agree with your take on it. I don't think it's particularly political. I don't think it's about voting. I think it is just this, you know, somebody else is putting a pressure on me or asking me a question and I just don't want to answer it right now. Right. Um, Couple of couple of interesting things about that line, though the the mangy dog. Um, in a previous, just a couple of verses before, he talks about being in the Highlands with the horses and hounds. Mm. And there's a real difference between you know you've got these these hounds who are well cared for, and you know they're they're hunting dogs, they're working dogs, and and you know they're a part of life and and culture up in there. And then you've got this mangy dog that's astray on the streets in the urban environment. So I, I like that contrast there. But also, interesting little, I, I do these funny little segues in my head. So, you know, please forgive me. <laughs> when he says he wants a full length leather coat, his next album of original work was Love and Theft. And if you turn to the back page of the album cover, if you turn to the back of the album, he's wearing a full length leather coat. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> Oh uh, boy, you know, I feel like I could do a whole episode, and maybe I will someday, uh, on photos of Bob from the last fifteen years because that—that's that, an art form 
all of itself oh, no of the kidding. funny photos that he poses for with the women with the woman yeah. with the domino mask on the back of shadows in the night. Mm. <laughs> like, what are those I photo still want sessions? I know who like? that lady is. Yeah, I really exactly. Know who she is. We've been trying to search for her and we can't find her. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But yes, he's wearing a full length leather coat on the back of his next album. Oh, so fantastic. it's like, hmm, I should get one of those. Boom. I, I got did. it. There you go. There Perfect. You go. Oh, that's wonderful. That's it. Oh, that's I just, love just that. to tie these together. <laughs> I would imagine, too, that the concept of a Meiji dog, like a homeless Meiji dog, bothers Bob because we know Bob loves dogs on a simple oh, level. Absolutely. He's had dogs his whole life. So we, we know that oh. that's a thing, too. So. Yep. Um, so, absolutely. so so now we're down to the final two verses here. And he's talking wow. about the, the I know we, we, we did it. Uh, he says the sun is beginning <laughs> to shine on me, but it's unlike the sun that used to be. The party's over, and there's less and less to say. I love the way he sings that, the way he just sort of lets that line just fade into nothing. He's less and less to say. He just lets it. I got new eyes. Everything looks far away. And then finally, wraps it up with, well, my heart's in the highlands at the break of day, over the hills and far away. There's a way to get there, and I'll figure it out somehow. But I'm already there in my mind. And that's good enough for now. And it's fake yeah. it till you make it, essentially. I hate to boil this song that's down it. to that, but that's really what it is. It really is. And I like, um, I've read where people have taken the use of the word sun as being like S-O-N, as well as the sun in the sky, S-U-N. Um, you know, if there's any religious themes running through me, people have tied the eggs in the dinosaurine to the Passover eggs um, and things like that. So, you know, people out there do really deep analysis of Dylan that, um, you know, that, that really do tie things together. But, you know, if, if he's talking about getting to heaven and the sun is starting to shine on him and he'll figure it out somehow, maybe he's seeing a bit of redemption. He's seeing a way forward here. He's seeing a way to get there and he's got it in his mind. That's good enough for now. And he's going to figure out what his next step is. And I, I love it. I think it's a real, um, it's a real kind of uh, message of hope at the end of it. But I think the line, the party's over and there's less and less to say, like you said, the way he breathes that last line, he lets it drawl out and it's just the breath goes. I love that line. And um, I think it's funny to say my, my mind works in strange ways sometimes, but I remember before he passed away, Christopher Hitchens of all people, who was a mad Dylan fan, by the way, Christopher Hitchens loved Bob Dylan. He wrote a lot about Bob Dylan and often quoted Dylan in his essays and books. But um, he said before he died, he died of cancer. Um, And he said, you know, one of the things about dying is people, people aren't so scared of dying. It's the fact that you're leaving the party and the party's going on without you. Mm. And, you know, and it's almost like this, the party's over. Um, there's nothing else to say. You've got to leave, but you want to cling on to those good times. You want to still be a part of everything and still be involved with everything, but it's all winding down. And it's like, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. We're getting to the end of the party. And it's just that, that breath comes out and it's like, okay, so what happens now? You know? And, and I just, I, I love this song because it goes up and down. It's roller coaster. There's the jokes, there's the puns. There's the depth, there's the questioning about the meaning of life. The, it, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that line. And after a whole album of pretty bleak stuff, uh, he mm-hmm. ends on this on this up, uh, hopeful note of there's a way yep. to get there and I'll figure it out somehow. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways that is uh, that's a, a common theme through all of his work. It's, it's there's 
you're not where you want to be, but there's a way to get there. There's a way to maybe you won't get there and maybe, you know, odds are maybe even you won't, but there's a there is a way. There is mm-hmm. a way to do it and I'll figure it out somehow. And I love that that again the the feeling of self-reliance. I mean, we I've talked about in previous episodes about the the whole thing of like uh Trust yourself, you know, the yep. idea of uh, the Bob speech at the Grammy Awards in 1991 where he's saying, you know, Bob, ha- God has faith in you. Uh, you know, yep. you won't you don't need God to figure this out for you. You can figure it out yourself. And so yep. this this wonderful act of self-reliance, even after a guy that couldn't even decide whether he was hungry or not, <laughs> he's now much more certain. He's now I'll figure it out yep. somehow. I'll, I'm already there in my mind. And that's good enough yep. for now. And, you know, I will say that that um, not to get I don't want to get too terribly personal on these shows because it's, it's, yep. it's weird but i mean i'm gone i've gone through some some pretty wholesale changes in my life uh in the last yeah. couple of uh months and uh the, they're 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 scary um and, yeah. and they're, they're they're well they're scary let's just <laughs> let's just say that they're scary yeah. uh and i have a vision of where i want my life to be within a certain i don't know, say period of time because you can't put limits on it but I have an idea of what I want my life to be, and I I'm not there now, but I mm-hmm. see it in my head, and yep. you know I I am like, well, what are the steps I need to take personally to get to that thing? And there's things yep. I can't control, but the only thing I can do is put myself in the situations where those things could happen. And so in my mind, I and yep. you know I'm already there in my mind, and I just got to figure out how to get there. And so, I mean again, That's it's right. like. An amazingly for all of Bob's reputation as this downer, you know, uh, this is an enormously hopeful statement. And as I've said in uh, many other episodes and in other contexts about other shows, you know, uh, I do another show called Mashcast, which is all about you know the TV show. And Larry mm-hmm. Gil- Larry Gilbert famously said, like you know, he thought that the show could get dark in times because the show, in his mind, is not a smile button. It's not just mm-hmm. be happy for twenty. We're, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna tell you people to be happy for twenty four minutes. No, we're going to show you that life can be dark, life can be sad, but there's a way to navigate out of that to come out better. And and so your happiness is a little more genuine because you've you've earned it. And yep. so there, I think about that here. It's like after this long journey this man has taken, he's figured out. A, a path to the highlands and it's it's remarkable yeah. it's it's unbelievable really absolutely and i think if you if you even go back 16 and a half minutes to the first verse <laughs> you know that that oh that late time ago you know you think of how lost and how trapped it came across you know the the rat race the same old page the same old cage um and i mean even when he says couldn't tell the difference between a real blonde and a fake. He can't tell the difference between what's reality and what's not reality, you know. And he, by the end of the song, he's gone through all of this and he knows what he needs to do. He's made that path. He's taken that path and he's got it in his mind and he's going to find a way to get there. And I, I love that. It's a real journey that we go on. And, you know, like you, I've, I've had some difficult times in the last year and uh, I always turn to Bob Dylan's music. He keeps me going because... He does make me smile and he makes me laugh as well as giving me some tools out there that help me deal with things, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. A, he's a great writer. I so much believe that he deserved the Nobel Prize. Yeah, like, I, I can't think of anybody else who's, a, who's, uh, who's had an influence on, uh, on literature, on writing, on phrases. Somebody did a, a study on how many phrases are in the English language because of Bob Dylan. Oh, man, yeah. Um, 
you know, and since Shakespeare, there hasn't really been anyone who's had an language and language use and, you know, and to take a song like this where he goes through, we've got the idioms, we've got the metaphors, we've got um, the puns and the humor and the darkness and the references to other parts of literature and music. And it's it's all in there. It's a wonderful song. I was so glad that you chose that song off my list of songs to talk about. I, I, I really have had a really good time talking about it. Well, me too. Like I said, I, I knew that after I was re- I read some of your writing and I was like, okay, this is just going to be terrific. And I just, I looked, at your, I looked at your list and I just was like, well, let's just go for it. Let's, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I will say, I will admit there are sometimes there are people that reach out to me and I don't know them at all. And they'll, they'll, they'll yeah. give me a list and, and, and I will pick a song that I care less about because I'm kind right. of like, well, I kind of want to test them out, you know, I, before right. I risk talking about, you know, this song that I really love. But the, I, I I was confident uh, that 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 you were going to be a great guest, and I was like, well, let's just let's just let's just go for it. Let's just <laughs> yeah, let's just do the big one, do Highland. So, and I, I don't know, Tara, this has been an extraordinarily fun record. I had this has just been so much fun to talk to you about this. I said I really enjoy your writing. Uh, I just thought it was just terrific. I, I appreciate it. Give me. Uh, some insights that I had not had before, much like I said with Laura when I when I recorded with her, and she had observations that I had never thought of before. And you know, I, mm. I was like that. I mean, that's the point. You know, I mean, I want to hear new things. Oh. That's why I have different guests on is to hear new things. And so this has just been so much fun. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. I thank you for your confidence in me. I have had an absolute blast doing this. It was fun me putting together my ideas on the song. I didn't know where to start, and it was just <laughs> like there's so much. But I think I think we managed to to do it in a in a very organized way for for um, such a long song. And I, I just I've had so much fun talking with you, and it's been great to be on 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 the podcast. So thank you very much. Well, awesome. Well, okay. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh. Well, you can always find me on Facebook. Like, that's where I live. That's like my real home. Like, my heart's not in the Highlands. My heart's on social media. Um, I'm on Skype, just Tarazuk, T-A-R-A-Z-U-K, that, at Tarazuk. That's me on Skype. And I have a website. Um, I'll make sure I get the website address correct. It is. We'll have the link in the show notes for everybody, too. Oh, just so you sure. Can you can it. put yeah. it in. But it's it's tarazuk.yolasite.com. Com. So it's, again, it's my name. If, if you search Google for Tara Zook and Dylan, you put our two names together, you'll find plenty out there to find me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, I said we'll have that link in the show notes. And of course, everybody, we did. Thank you. One last thing I went before we just signed up. Tara did mention earlier that Bob has played the song nine times live uh, between 99 and 2001. So it's probably nothing you're ever going to hear again for the most part. I think he was probably, but you also probably guessed that if he does ever whip this out, he's in a fun mood. <laughs> he's probably in a fun mood. That he's. I was just going to say, you know, we start this campaign for me to get to see him live. I get there and he plays Highlands. There you go. You know, there you go. My life is complete. What there you can we go. say? <laughs> the sun will be no, start I'm... shining on me. It's on you. It'll be perfect. Absolutely. We absolutely. It... I am, I am, I am, I am brain. I am uh, uh, in my mind. I am thinking up uh, hashtags for this effort to get you to. See <laughs> I have to. We we'll have Go to for it. crowdsource it. We have to figure this out. But we'll. we'll, we'll we're going to be. We're going to be trending. We're going to be trending. Absolutely. I tell you. Absolutely. <laughs> but so, thank you very much, Rob. That's well, great. Okay, thank you so much. And so, everybody, of course, if you want to listen to back episodes of the show, go to the website fireandwaterpodcast.com, and there you can leave comments. I really love reading comments from people. Okay, so go over there and leave them there. You can uh, follow the show. 
show uh, via Stitcher or I or Apple Podcasts. And we're always talking Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, uh, take it easy. Bye. <laughs> the sun is beginning to shine on me. But it's not like the sun that used to be. The pot is over, and there's less and less to say. I got new eyes. Everything looks far away. But my heart's in the highlands Had to break a day Over the hills and Far away There's a way to get there And I'll figure it out somehow But I'm already there in my mind.